For months, there was speculation about whether or not Donald Trump would be impeached from the informal inquiry to the formal inquiry to the impeachment, you know, hearings with the Harvard professors. And then finally, they voted for impeachment, stopped short, never actually sent the files over to the Senate. And so now people are arguing Trump was never impeached in the first place. And already, I kid you not, Democrats and people on the left are already preparing for Trump's second impeachment. How can we go on this way as a country? I kid you not, look at this. Look at the story from the Washington Post. Could Democrats impeach Trump twice? They might have to. And they, and they go through this argument. I want to read some of this for you. But guess what? That's, it's, it's, it's not just someone's opinion. It's literally House counsel suggests Trump could be impeached again. Let me ask you a question. They rushed through the first impeachment process to try and get it done before Christmas. And now Nancy Pelosi won't send the managers and won't send the, 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 the she won't file with the Senate. What was the point of rushing if you weren't going to file anyway? More importantly, they're arguing Trump needs to be impeached twice. Why wouldn't you just wait to collect evidence? The whole thing seems like a political process sham. They're just trying to generate some kind of partisan thing to help them. I don't know what their plan is because the longer they draw this out, the more Trump's approval rating goes up, the more money he brings in donations. It seems to make absolutely no sense. One of the Democrats, uh, Jared Golden, who voted against the articles, or I'm sorry, one of the articles stated that the obstruction article was not legitimate because the Democrats did not try to rectify the problem. That if the Democrats were really upset with Trump obstructing a witness, they need to go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court would then issue a ruling saying, Trump, you must do it. Trump could appeal. And then if Trump loses, he then has to have his witnesses appear. But they never tried that. The Democrats rushed through, accused Trump of obstruction without ever, ever filing with the, the Supreme Court. And thus, even a Democrat from Maine said, no, 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 you can't do that. Now what's happening is they're arguing for a second impeachment on the exact same thing, saying, oh, well, Don McGahn needs to testify. And, and, and if we get new evidence of obstruction, then we got more articles of impeachment. You know, the whole thing is absolutely stupid. I'll tell you this. There were already two articles of impeachment, none of which are statutory crimes, the first time in U.S. history. If they filed another article of impeachment, wouldn't that still just be one impeachment? It's not like the two articles means he was impeached twice, does it? I'll tell you what, man, it's a holiday and I'm working. And I got to say, I, I, can't, I can't help but be surprised that we, even, even on this wonderful Christmas Eve, we can, we can count on reading absolutely absurd and insane news. Now, let, now check this out. From, this is from today, from the Washington Post. Uh, Paul Waldman of the Washington Post writes, While we wait for Mitch McConnell and the White House to figure out whether they can get away with beginning and ending President Trump's impeachment trial in an afternoon, a provocative new question has been raised. Once impeachment is over, presumably with an acquittal in the Senate, could House Democrats impeach Trump for a second time? Don't dismiss it as an absurd idea just yet. Yes, no, I'm sorry. Stop. I will dismiss this as an absurd idea. This is nuts. No statutory crime. They just don't like the guy. And there are people on Twitter. I think it was a senator, a Democrat saying it, it, we should withhold. You know, we, we shouldn't. Uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi shouldn't send the articles over because it's driving Republicans mad. No, it isn't. They didn't want the impeachment in the first place. The longer you sit out, they don't care. It's only going to hurt Bernie Sanders and other Democrats running for 2020. I can't tell what the plan is. I'll tell you what, though. It sure seems like the establishment Democrats are actually trying to hurt the Democrats. Maybe they don't like the populist wave that's coming, so they'd rather Trump win. I honestly have no idea. But um, 
Paul says not to dismiss it as an absurd idea. I will. I, I, I'm sorry. Think about how insane our country is becoming that we would have the first president in U.S. history to, impe- to be impeached twice with no statutory crimes on either. That just seems nuts. Like, come on, man. Things are really getting freaky and kind of breaking down. I get it, man. You don't like the guy. But he was elected to be the president. You're going to have to sit, sit, you know, sit this one out. And then when you get a chance in 2020, try and vote for somebody. But you know what the problem is? And I said it a million times, they're not campaigning on anything. Okay, okay. Let's get back to the story about second impeachment. Uh, before we get started, I will give a shout out. It is, it is uh, uh, Christmas. I know some of you probably don't celebrate Christmas. Maybe it's Hanukkah or Festivus or Kwanzaa or, or you know, whatever it is you celebrate. Hey, man, more power to you, more respect. Believe what you want to believe. I hope you're having a good time. I hope you're feeling positive and optimistic. We've got a new year coming up. And if you want to support my work on this wonderful holiday week or so, you can go to timcast.com slash donate, figure out how you'd like to support my work, or just share this video. I know echo chambers kind of control everything, so it is what it is, but um, I I just want to let you know on this holiday, you know, period, I am extremely grateful for all of you, and simply that, that, you know, the fact that you're watching my video at all is one of the greatest gifts to me, and I really do mean that. I I am uh, tremendously lucky to be able to just be a person who gets to talk to a camera all day and make a living doing it. It's, It's like a dream job for me, and we're doing a lot of really awesome things behind the scenes with expanding journalism. You can tell that I'm traveling right now, so there's some plans in the works, and and, and trust me when I say, I work nonstop, even on the holidays. So thank you so much for watching. Let's get back to the opinion piece from the Washington Post, and then we'll jump over to the facts. He says, don't dismiss it as an absurd idea just yet. Not only might it happen, but it also might be absolutely necessary. At the very least, considering the possibility will help us understand just how deep our governing crisis could get if Trump wins a second term in office. No, 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 no. Okay, okay, that's it. That's the final straw. Our governing crisis, it could get worse. It's, it's, it's the Democrats making it worse. Trump is doing a bunch of wacky and wild things, sure, but the world isn't ending. Things are getting better. Let me stop right now. I didn't want to have to do this, but I have to do this. Take a look at this. From TechCrunch, Black Friday sees record spending and online sales, $2.9 billion spent using smartphones. It wasn't a record for in-store, uh, uh, for, you know, for um, brick-and-mortar shops, but it was a record. How about this? Saturday shopping sets U.S. one-day sales record, analyst says. Christmas shopping sets one-day sales record. I'm sorry, man. The economy is doing well. I did a segment the other day from, uh, I was reading Vox.com, V-O-X. I, I know, you got, check it out, youtube.com slash timcastnews. It's my other channel. Vox, which is left, left-leaning, said, the economy is bad for Democrats. They have, they, they can't hide from it anymore. In the Democratic debates, they're pretending the economy is doing bad, and it's the craziest thing to me. Listen, man, I think Trump is, uh, his policies and his strategies are a bit dejected, right? It's like, it's like Trump kind of just jolts around back and forth and like makes plans as he goes. But you can't deny the economy is doing well and people like what's happening. The Democrats' only option then is to pretend like everything's getting worse. Black Friday record sales, Christmas record sales, people can recognize this. So when you get the left-wing publication, Vox, saying Democrats' only option is to deny the good economy, you want to tell me there's a governing crisis? No, 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 no. It's Democrats lying about the economy instead of saying, hey, here's the things Trump needs to cool out, cool down on. No, 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 no. What do they do? Trump had a phone call with Ukraine. Impeach. No statutory crime. There's no governing crisis. Not with Trump. The only, the only governing crisis you could technically argue with Trump is that he's, I don't know, boorish and he, he's, uh, 
he, he jumps the gun a bit too much, I guess. I don't know. But he was elected. He was elected for the character he is. He's a bull rampaging through the ivory tower. The economy is doing well. And that's what Americans voted for. And they got what they voted for. Trump hilariously said at a rally, he's the only president who's kept more promises than he's made. And I couldn't help but burst out laughing when I heard that because it literally makes no sense. And it's funny. And you know what, man? I see stuff like this where these people write, we must, we must impeach Trump twice. And I'm just like, you're nuts. Calm down. You're not winning over anybody. Regular Americans right now are, are you know, probably right now watching this video when this video comes out, sitting down to a nice Christmas Eve family outing or, or uh, whatever, you know, other holiday. Forgive me if I'm not, you know, saying your holiday. I just, I grew up with Christmas, so it's my, you know, my worldview. But they're, they're with family. They're opening gifts. They're uh, eating Chinese food or something like that. And they're having a good time. They're, the economy is doing well. They're, they're getting wage increases and they're not shrieking about a governing crisis. That's you guys. That's Nancy Pelosi at war with the far left. That's Jeff Van Drew leaving the Democratic Party. That's Hawaii. What is it? A former, a former politician. I don't know who from Hawaii calling for Tulsi Gabbard to resign. I got mad respect for Tulsi Gabbard for standing up for what she believes in and bucking the partisanship saying no dice. I'm not playing that game. That's amazing. But it shows us the Democrats are having a governing crisis. Trump and the Republicans are unified. The economy is through the roof. What are you talking about? Second impeachment? All right, let's, 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 let's keep reading. The question has come up because of a court case involving former White House counsel Don McGahn, who defied a subpoena from the House Judiciary Committee to give testimony regarding the shocking findings of Robert S. Mueller III's investigation into the Russia scandal. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Oh, they're bringing back Mueller. Uh, I, I, you, do you remember Mueller's greatest hits? It was uh, no obstruction, no determination on obstruction, and no Russia collusion. The greatest hits, which came out earlier this year. And, and, and what's happening? Literally bringing it all back up. And the Democrats did not file with the Supreme Court, okay, to, to rectify the problem of Trump saying executive privilege. Now, here's, here's the way they frame it. They're saying, uh, you know, Trump told his people just don't testify. You can't do that. No, 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 hold on. Trump claimed executive privilege. The executive branch has, you know, communications they deem are privileged. They don't have to go and testify and share that information. You have a problem with that. Our founding fathers came up with a great solution. It's called checks and balances. You simply go to the Supreme Court. You say, here's our argument. The Supreme Court looks at it and says, you're right. Now, I do think it's fair to point out Trump and the, and the, uh, the Republicans in the Senate and, and Trump's administration, they've stacked the courts and they got, they got a very favorable Supreme Court. But it doesn't mean they're always going to win. The Supreme Court isn't, I, I don't have all the, the things, you know, all the rulings pulled up, but they haven't always sided with Trump. I guess, I guess the Democrats think they would lose. They have no ground to stand on. And if that's the case, they shouldn't be doing this. If they really thought they had a case, they should have filed with the Supreme Court. They did not. Okay. And I think that's fair. They didn't do it. But I'll tell you what's, what's really nuts. The fact that here we are, they've already sort of impeached Trump, and now they're trying to re-invoke the Mueller investigation. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm just so uh, frustrated, right? You can tell I'm frustrated because I'm thinking about what am I supposed to tell my friends and family in 2020? Now, look, I know if you look over at Bernie, you look at Tulsi, you look at Yang, you know what they're all about. But who are they going to pick for their running mates? And what have the Democrats promised? And what, what are they offering in response to Trump? Everything that's happening right now with impeachment and with Mueller and this nonstop insanity from the press 
is, is creating this impression that while Trump and the Republicans are, sta- are walking in lockstep with each other, unified, and the economy is doing really, really well, Trump is doing a little bit better on foreign policy. I mean a little bit because I'm very critical of what he's done in a lot of ways. But, you know, at least he's going to bring back some of the troops. There's announcements of some troop withdrawals in, in, in Afghanistan and things like that. We still got to worry about Saudi Arabia. So it's kind of like wishy-washy. But the point is, Trump's, he's getting the fence built, okay? It's not the big, beautiful 30-foot, you know, concrete wall, but he's building a barrier. He's reduced illegal immigration, what he promised he would do. The economy is doing really well. Look, man, when you look over at what he's promised and the people who voted for him got what they wanted, what is this? What impression are you creating other than Trump is bad? It's like a parallel reality. He goes on to say, well, Democrats had many questions they wanted McGahn to answer. There was particular interest in one episode that seemed a clear case of obstruction of justice. According to Mueller's report in 2017, Trump ordered McGahn to fire Mueller. And McGahn refused and threatened to resign. Then later, Trump ordered McGahn to lie publicly about a newspaper article that accurately recounted the fact that Trump had told him to fire Mueller. Finally, Trump tried to get McGahn to create a false paper trail, claiming that his order to fire Mueller had never occurred. I'm going to stop right here. He says, according to Mueller's report in 2017. Okay. All of it may be true. Fine. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play games where the left is, you know, they're going to come out and say, we, we know it's true. Trump did all these things. I'll tell you what. I always hear this argument that due to, you know, the official opinion or whatever, you know, Trump can't be indicted. I'm sorry. Listen, you cannot Bring up the Mueller report again. It's done. It's over with. Okay. It did not get you the bombshell report you wanted. There was no determination made an obstruction. You know, there's a, there's a funny meme the conservative Trump supporters have. It says that Hillary Clinton did commit a crime, but she wasn't, she wasn't prosecuted or indicted because she didn't intend to. And so now they're saying that Trump didn't commit a crime, but he may have intended to. Therefore, he should be impeached, even though there's no statutory crime in impeachment. You see, the problem is, well, I am certainly no fan of the man. And if you have evidence, clear-cut evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, he actually did something. Not, you know, you know what? Uh, let, me, let me end that point. Okay, if he did something, fine. By all means, get rid of him and buy now care. But I'll tell you what. The Mueller report, as far as we know, know now, is based on complete BS. The Steele dossier, you know, they claimed they weren't using it, going after Carter Page. Look, I understand it's, it's, a, it's a really complex issue. I'll accept that. But let's get back to the, the, the task at hand. They're literally talking about a second impeachment of Donald Trump, and they're trying to use the Mueller report to do it. This, to me, shows they are truly desperate. They say, that series of events could and probably should have been the basis for another article of impeachment. But Democrats chose instead to focus on the articles on Ukraine. So in the current court case, the Justice Department has argued that now that impeachment articles have been approved, there's no longer any need for the courts to rush in to decide whether McGahn has to testify to the the Judiciary Committee. Well, again, you could have filed the Supreme Court, sure. But in a filing to the Court of Appeals on Monday, lawyers for the committee said this, if McGahn's testimony produces new evidence supporting the conclusion that President Trump committed impeachable offenses that are not covered by the articles approved by the House, the committee will proceed accordingly, including, if necessary, by considering whether to recommend new articles of impeachment. They haven't even sent over the first articles, and they're already talking about another impeachment. Think about that. That's how insane the Democrats have become. What has Donald Trump truly done? The Russiagate thing was all fake. It's, it's, it was nonsense. 
It was conspiracy absurdity from the media for years. It was FBI misdirection and, and, and mistakes and lies. And the media pushing out this, this insane, like, since when did the media become whatever the FBI says must be true? But they did. So here's the thing, man. I don't like the idea that if Donald Trump, you know, was being investigated, he tried to obstruct the investigation. I certainly don't. But I'm also confused as to why he would obstruct an investigation if what they say is true, if it was all based on lies and he literally didn't do anything in the first place. I also don't like the idea of, it's, 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 it reminds me of like getting arrested for resisting arrest. I think that's so dumb. Like there, you, I've seen these videos and I've been on the ground and I've seen this, a cop will like grab somebody and then be like, you're under arrest. I'm like, for what? And they're like resisting arrest. And they're like, how is that all you're arresting me for? I mean, it, it does technically make sense, but it still kind of doesn't. Like if you're not under arrest, how can you resist being under arrest? But you know, you get the point. They launch a phony investigation into Trump. Trump gets mad. He, he thinks they're, you know, he, he sees these people doing phony investigations and says, fire these people. They're wasting time and money on something that's fake. And then they say, that's obstruction. Think about how insane that is. You know, when you, if, if, if you ignore the Horowitz report and you look at what Mueller was investigating as if it was a legitimate and honest investigation, you might say Trump should have, shouldn't have obstructed. When you realize now that Trump knew, he in all likelihood knew his access to the information, that the Steele dossier and all this stuff is completely fake. Now he's got to deal with, he's got people that he's in charge of that are running a BS investigation with no merit. So he's like, get rid of them. I understand it's a conflict, a political conflict. So, you know, here, I'll say this. I, I really, really want to avoid rehashing the Mueller stuff, but they're seriously calling for impeachment based on Mueller. It'll never stop. It will never stop. So even though I can show you, right, that Christmas shopping breaks a one-day record, you know Black Friday shattered a record. And right now, this is not necessarily a good thing, okay? But I want to show you this. The Fear and Greed Index from CNN Business showing that everything right now, nine, like 92, extreme greed, meaning... People in the market are buying because they fully expect and want to get rich. This could inflate stocks. It could cause a crash. But the point is the markets are doing really, really well. People expect to make a lot of money. Trump is doing well by what he offered people. Okay. And that's recognizing, oh, I'm going to say it for the 50 billionth time for all of you who watch me. Trump is a bad character. He says mean things, but I'll tell you what, they want to impeach him. They will never stop. And come 2020, the Democrats are facing a reckoning. We all saw what happened in the UK. We're seeing what's happening now in the markets. Who do they think they're preaching to? Well, I'll tell you this. The Washington Times says, awakening black voters abandoned by Democrats warm to Trump. And while many people want to say there's no way the black community is going to vote for Trump, the Washington Times says that there are three polls. And let me, let me, let me just read you the, the opening paragraphs of this. You know, They say, former NFL player Jack Brewer once raised campaign money for President Barack Obama, but now he's among the increasing number of black voters who supports President Trump. There is an awakening going on right now in this country, Mr. Brewer said, of black voters who traditionally support Democrats. I'm going to take the guy who's actually putting in the policies that are going to make life better for my young black son and my young black daughter versus somebody who gives me lip service, like unfortunately the Democrats have done for our community for years. Mr. Trump and his re-election team are aggressively courting black voters amid a strong economy that has reduced black unemployment to 5.5%, lowest in history. The Trump campaign launched its, quote, Black Voices for Trump Coalition in Atlanta last month. They go on to talk about how there's some evidence the president's policies and campaign outreach are making inroads. Three polls in November showed Mr. Trump's job approval, job approval among, uh, rating among black voters in the 30 to 35% range. 
a significant increase over other surveys that have generally shown black voter support of less than 10%. Now, there are many progressives and leftists who refuse to believe it, but they're the people trapped in bubble world of Twitter. One of those polls was Emerson. And according to 538, they are the second most accurate poll. I believe it. I absolutely do. I think, you know, I watched this really great, it was, it was a really funny podcast clip where it was, I don't know who the guys were, but it was some black personalities, like um, some artists and, and, and podcast personalities. And they were explaining some of the offensive things Trump had said. You know, the, the, the notorious leaked tape of where Trump said he could grab women. And he was explaining, he was like, dude, Trump's talking to his buddies about this girl who really, really wants him. And he explains it like, you know, hey man, this girl, she's all up on me, whatever. I'm not gonna directly quote it because this is YouTube and my videos are particularly family friendly. But the point is, I'm not here to justify what Trump said. I, I, not, 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 I, I don't like what he said. The point is, you now have urban youth, minority youth, younger people saying, you know what, man, the media's lying and they're misrepresenting who Trump is and what he's doing. And so when you look at what the Washington Post is saying, we, we have to, we, we, we may have to impeach twice. And then you look at what's actually going on in the polls. This is unprecedented. Now, now I'll tell you this. I believe they actually, it might be covered in this article. They talk about how, or no, no, it's not this one. There's a different article that talks about Republican support from the black community was highest under George W. Bush following 9-11. And they said, yeah, but we kind of understand why. With these three polls, assuming they're accurate, because it's not just one poll, mind you, it's three. Trump has some of the highest approval rating from the black community than, you know, any Republican in a really long time. And I think that says something. You look at these, these, you know, these journalists who work for the Washington Post talking about how we must impeach Trump twice, reinvoking the Mueller report. Their bubble is getting smaller and smaller because I'll tell you this. I think, I think it's funny when people make jokes about me saying like, Tim, take the red pill or like, when will Tim finally recognize and like abandon the Democrats? And I'm like, no, 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 you don't, you don't, you don't get it. You don't get it. It's not about taking a red pill. It's about the fact that people like me, like regular, moderate, centrist, lefty types, we all see it too. There's just very few people like me who are active and politically engaged because Twitter and social media tends to show you the two polarized ends. And here I am somewhat in the middle saying things that Trump supporters typically nod to, you know, kind of shrug and say, you know, I disagree with you, Tim, but I hear what you're saying. Whereas the left is screeching. No, Trump must be impeached. Now I'll tell you what, man, when it comes to my friends and my family, there's a shrug and, and confusion and everyone seems to agree. I don't know, man, the economy is doing really, really well. So what do you think happens when you have black voters coming out in, in some of the largest numbers to support Trump? You have this, this record-breaking economy, but then the Democrats keep denying the reality of the economy. Eventually, people are going to say it's the Democrats who are lying, not Trump. And it's already happening with the press. People don't trust the press anymore. And I'm going to say it, man. I'm going to throw it back to that Vox article. And I'll wrap it up here. The Vox article straight up said Matthew Iglesias, one of the co-founders, it's a lefty publication, it's progressive. The Democrats' only option is to deny the economy is doing well because they're not going to win. That's basically it. Their only option. And that's what they're doing. So how does it, you know, that, make, it, it, that, that offends me. Because all they have to do is come out and say, look, we get it. You know, Trump's done right by the economy. And that, this is why I like Andrew Yang. And Andrew Yang's coming up because he points out Trump's got these, these, these fixes. It's going to work. We need to think ahead. We need to think about automation. We need to think about what the future is going to hold. And Andrew Yang actually said no to the minimum wage increase, and he's running as a Democrat. I'm glad we got at least one guy who's, who's actually you know, forward thinking when it comes to, to uh, progress and policy. I'm not saying he's perfect. Certainly not. I certainly don't think Trump is either. The fact remains, though, 
if you're going to have a, a bunch of Democrats on stage lying to your face, then telling you should impeach the president, the guy who's overseeing the longest economic expansion in U.S. history, I'm sorry, you're going to find your support tanks. We'll see what happens, though. Because I'll tell you this, Republicans, I'll tell you this, Trump supporters, don't underestimate how Trump's behavior is a net negative and could really, really hurt you and him. And let's just be a serious warning. You know, it may be silly and funny when I go, oh, Trump's just a boorish man. No, 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 look, I get it. You might think all these people have Trump, Trump derangement syndrome. They don't like the fact that Trump makes these crude and crass jokes because you like them. I can respect that. I can respect that. I love me some offensive comedy. So when I watch Trump, I, I get it. I also understand that the role of the president is not the role of a comedian. And while that benefits Trump in a lot of ways, his attitude is a net negative and could be a huge risk. Keep that in mind. So, you know, well, you know I'll, I'll leave it there. This is a longer video than I expected, but hey, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for hanging out. Um, sec <laughs> second impeachment. Uh, it's so funny. I, I, I wasn't convinced we'd make it to the first. We technically haven't, but here's number two. So um, let it be said that the absurdity of the Democrats knows no bounds. I will see you all in the next segment at 6 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCastNews. Thanks for hanging out. Again, I hope you're enjoying your time. If, you're, uh, if you find yourself sitting on a couch watching this on your phone alone in some room like, like I am, just know that um, you can be optimistic. You know, Don't feel down. If, you're, if you find yourself in this holiday season uh, lonely, just remember, I'm also <laughs> by myself for the most part. I mean, you know, we'll see if I end up doing anything, but probably not. I'll be working as per usual. So uh, thanks for, for keeping me company by watching my videos, and I hope you, you enjoyed the segment. I will see you all at 6 p.m. Many of you are probably familiar with Alyssa Milano, either because she's a famous actress or because she's one of the most vocal anti-Trump personalities on Twitter. Recently, she called on her fans to engage in a seven-minute collective meditative prayer to remove the president. And she was mocked by conservatives for it. She fired back, saying, these are the people who believe in thoughts and prayers, and they're making fun of my prayer. And here I am as somebody who used to be what, like, I guess the liberals are gone, but whatever I am, we used to not do this, right? You know, so when I grew up, I grew up a Catholic for a brief period, and then for a lot of reasons, eventually became atheist and then agnostic, and now I have my own like weird belief system. But for the most part, I'm not a religious person. And most of the people I grew up with, not religious either. In fact, many of them are atheists. They're not spiritual. They don't believe in hippy-dippy new wave nonsense. They don't do collective meditative yoga chants. So where do I fall in this weird political battle? You know, the political homeless is probably uh, people like me. There's more of us than you realize. So let me, let me explain something. I want to read this story to you about what Mil Alyssa Milano thinks is going to do to impeach Trump, a yoga chant. And I want to talk to you why I think it's insane and effective, but it also proves one important factor. We, you know, we, we've talked about how the left is engaging in this new kind of religion, this new pseudo-religion, be it intersectionality or otherwise. But we can see here the left literally embracing the concept of collective meditative prayer, which is kind of not, it's weird. Like, you know, the left doesn't do this. I mean, whenever there's like a major, you know, tragedy and the right says thoughts and prayers, the left mocks them for. Like, what are prayers going to do? Now they're literally defending the idea of doing prayer to get rid of Trump? I'm sorry, man. Look, I know it's, Chris, it's, it's Christmas Eve, so Merry Christmas, everybody. And to everybody else, you know, happy holidays, whatever holiday you, you may be celebrating. Many of you probably believe in the power of prayer, and that's okay. And it's okay that Alyssa Milano does as well. I'm just confused as to how the left is now embracing pseudo-religious like pseudo -religious 
prayer as if it's going to get rid of the president. See, I've never been a big fan of that. You know, my, my, my most direct criticism is, Alyssa, if you, want your, if you want to get rid of Donald Trump, tell your followers to go fundraise for some Democrats. Don't tell them to do yoga. It's weird. Let me read you this story, okay? So this is from The Pluralist. They say, Alyssa Milano calls on followers to impeach Trump with yoga chant. It backfires. Well, I don't want to say it backfires. Conservatives just made fun of her for it, and then she fired back. They say Milano, a TV actress turned feminist activist, announced Saturday that she would start chanting for seven minutes a day with the goal of manifesting a change of guard in Washington. She said her mantra would be, believe in believing. The impossible is possible. Join me. She urged her 3.7 million Twitter followers, we're stronger together. On Sunday, Milano clarified that she had not yet commenced chanting Trump out of office, but she promised to start Monday and offered specific instructions on how fans could support her. Oh, wow, interesting. Upon, upon waking, lay in Shavasana, look it up, set your alarm for seven minutes, she said, referring to the corpse pose in yoga, which basically involves a practitioner lying motionless on their back. After uttering the supposedly reality-altering mantra, she advised adding, we'd like to create a changing of the guard. Milano did not name Trump or specify what a change of the guard would look like, but she has been a vocal critic of the president, and her call for chanting came after lawmakers left Washington for holiday break on Friday with no agreement over how they will handle the Senate trial to consider his impeachment charges in January. Trump stands little chance of being convicted and removed. Yeah, 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 we, we, we get all this, okay? Trump's not going <laughs> to be convicted by the Senate. So I suppose when you have literally nothing left to do, when you have no strategy, when you're failing, when the economy is booming, the best thing you could do is lie on your back with your hands together and pray that Donald Trump will be removed from office. But you know what? I'll tell you this. There are probably a lot of religious people who might think it's funny, you know, but I, hey, you know, I'll actually give it to Alyssa Milano when she criticized Christian conservatives who cr criticized her for talking about the power of prayer. Personally, I think if you're going to spend your days lying on your back praying that Donald Trump will go away, Donald Trump's not going to go away. It's not how it's going to work. I've never been like, I, I'm, I look, I, you know, maybe it's offensive to a lot of religious people. I don't think prayer did it. I don't think it's going to do anything. I, don't, I think you're, you're literally doing nothing, just laying on your back and crossing your fingers and asking the wind to get rid of the president. You know, it's funny to me how many followers she has and she's mobilizing them to literally wake up and then go on the floor laying on their back and chanting how they don't want the president instead of literally doing something about it. In fact, if she tweeted, don't forget to vote, she'd be more likely to get rid of the president. You know what, man? Whatever it is that I am, you know, this 90s, 2000s Democrat that was kind of like secular and didn't believe in the power of astrology or meditative prayer and weird pseudo religions and whatever dogma they're doing. I, they took over. You know, we, we are seeing now the left is becoming religious, but it's a weird pseudo religion. They have no belief structure. Like, what, is it, what, is it, what does it mean to lay down in Shavasana? Shavasana. Right? Let's read a little bit more. Milano, who launched the Me Too movement with a tweet in 2017, was widely ridiculed for her latest attempt to repeat that feat of progressive organizing. Fellow actress and conservative influencer Mindy Robinson joked, Milano seemed to have confused Charmed, the WB show about sister witches, in which she once starred with reality. Some commentators suggested that Milano tried chanting alternative mantras like MAGA or Trump 2020. Others took Milano's ties to the dark arts more seriously, accusing her of being a witch. <laughs> Telling her to go to church as uh, as following her failed sex strike to combat abortion restrictions in May, 
Milano drew mockery even from some sympathetic liberals. Imran Siddiqui, an activist for the Council on American-Islamic Relations, implied that her latest campaign was counterproductive, tweeting, we're all definitely de- definitely going to be locked in camps. Wait, what? Uh, these people are scary crazy, if you ask me. Siddiqui also trolled Milano with a meme of Kevin Garnett's declaration after winning the 2000 and 2008 NBA championship with the Boston Celtics. Anything is possible. However, comedian and LGBT activist Dana Goldberg came to Milano's defense suggesting her yoga advocacy was no different than Christians offering thoughts and prayers following mass shootings. Milano agreed, saying exactly, but I don't mind. They mock me for everything. They certainly won't pierce my armor by mocking my faith. I can respect that you have faith. I can respect that you have some weird pseudo middle-class white woman religion. No, I'm not trying to rag on white people, but let's be honest. Like, you know, uh, wealthy white progressive females are the, pretty much the majority of the progressive movement. And they have this weird amalgam of strange Eastern beliefs and crystals and whatnot. And she's literally telling people that instead of going out and doing something that might change the course of politics, to literally lie on their back and just wish for it. Okay, I'll tell you what. You do that. You do that, you know. And I will, I will say this, to be fair. There's a big difference between, like, established faith structures belief in an actual deity and whatever pseudo amalgam she has. But I'm going to be honest. I don't put a lot of weight in any of these theistic religions. My belief structure is very, very, I don't know, personal. And has nothing to do with these books that were written a long time ago. Regardless of whether it's a new age, hippy dippy, land your back and pray the Trump away, or, you know, a 2000 year old book about, you know, a carpenter or whatever. No, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to either. I'm not. I, I think people should be allowed to believe whatever they want. I just think, for all practical reasons, this is not going to actually do anything. Um, and I think I'm correct. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I am. Milano has previously spoken about how yoga and meditation help her cope with anxiety, including regarding the threat of gun violence. She has said her peace of mind is also enhanced by keeping two guns at home. Is that true? R- really? That seems odd. So anyway, here's what, here's what happens. She tweets this. Um... I need your help manifesting a change of guard, which, you know, we went through that already. Join me, way up, you know, lay on the ground, believe in believing anything is possible. She said, conservative right-wing media bashing meditative collective prayer is what's hilarious. Thoughts and prayers, fake Christians. Thoughts and prayers. Christians against Trump. Alyssa, I, are, you, are you a Christian? Because I don't think laying on your back uh, in, in, in a yoga pose and meditating to get rid of Trump is, is I don't think that's any religion. And I'm not trying to be mean. I mean, mean this literally. I don't think, like, I think actual, like, I don't know, Hare Krishnas or or Buddhists and um, uh, whoever else does yoga. I'm not entirely sure. You know, yoga is like a a deep practice. Actually, let me tell you this too. I know, uh, I I knew a guy who was Hare Krishna and he was moderately offended by this, like, uh, wealthy leftist progressive yoga interpretation because yoga is like a spiritual practice that includes more than just like doing poses, which is exercise for like middle class white women. He, he was like, you know, yoga is like a religious practice. It's a spirit, spiritual practice that's been kind of, you know, appropriated and he was offended by it. I'm like, you know what, man, people can do whatever they want. It's America, right? But I don't think she's actually talking about a legitimate religion. I think she just has a hippy dippy new age belief. But here's, here's, here's the thing. First of all, uh, the Daily Wire is owned by Ben Shapiro. <laughs> Ben Shapiro is an Orthodox Jew. It's not fake Christians. It's, it, he's Jewish anyway. But, but it's also, I think it's, you know, I, I will say, I think there is a fair point in like trying to make fun of her when she's talking about meditative collective prayer, right? 
conservative right-wing media. But, but here, here's what I really want to say. Okay, let me, let me just wrap this up with this. Okay. Uh, I don't, do not believe in the power of prayer. Uh, I'm not religious. I follow no uh, theistic belief structure. And I love the fact that I apparently don't exist. Because the only people who, of course, the only people who would ever criticize Alyssa Milano are people who are right-wing Christians, right? You know, not Ben Shapiro. I mean, it's written by Hank Berrien. Not, I, don't, I don't know if he's Jewish or not, because there are Christians who work for the Daily Wire. But first of all, that's the Daily Wire. That's uh, Jewish. So the immediate assumption that they're conservative Christians is wrong. Calling it conservative right-wing media, sure, I guess, but they're not Christians. Well, I guess some of them are. Anyway, the point is, does she think everyone on the left believes her weird pseudo-hippie spiritual BS? Like, what, you, know, you know what, man? When I talk about the politically homeless, you know what I think is really happening? I, I gotta admit, I think the, uh, the, the rational, like old-school liberal types like me have just tuned everything out. And there's probably a lot of them. I'd be willing to bet the overwhelming majority of people on the left would look at her like she's nuts. They're just not saying anything. So the most vocal people are these, you know, I'm not trying to be mean, but this is weird hippy-dippy nonsense, crystal rubbing meditative weirdness that doesn't speak to the majority of people who are left-leaning, who are secular. Now, I can respect your right to believe that, you know, your yoga meditation chant might actually impact the, the election. I'm going to go ahead and say it's not, Okay. But, but where are the other people like me who are going to call this out? Is it really just two factions of like the religious right of Christians and Orthodox Jews and then the religious left of weird, hippy-dippy, spiritual, astrology, meditation, yoga, whatever? <laughs> you know what, man? This is why I've lost uh, – this, this is why I laugh about everything. Let me tell you. You guys know that – I've said over and over again when Donald Trump got elected, I just laughed. I just, I just laughed a whole lot. Um, I didn't vote for the guy, and you guys know that, and, and I laughed when he won. I won because of people like Alyssa Mil I'm sorry, I, I laughed because of people like Alyssa Milano, because of this weird, snooty, elitist, arrogant attitude about how much smarter and better they are than everyone, and how they cheated Bernie Sanders, and they got some comeuppance. Donald Trump won. It was funny. But I'll tell you why I also laugh, because I feel like I'm not even a part of this system anymore. You know, whatever it is that I am politically, it doesn't exist. I'm like the only one. You know, okay, it's not true. I mean, you, you guys watching obviously agree with me on a lot of things, so you probably feel similarly. But where are all like the center lefty types who were very much for Democrats, but not, you know, super extreme and, you know, not very religious, kind of secular? They're all gone. Now you've got Colbert just like, I used to love Stephen Colbert. Now he just says whatever he has to say. And it's like, are you serious, dude? You're just regurgitating talking points from these weirdos. And you look at John Oliver, who just makes, you know, fake content for the sake of getting clicks and, and views and stuff. And it's all the same. And now it seems like, I, I guess there's still Bill Maher. I'd be willing to bet Bill Maher will call out this, this kind of stuff. I'm glad he exists, even though he's got Trump derangement syndrome. What happened to the regular people? Maybe it's just that it's rare for someone of my, you know, political position to actually be as vocal and to pay attention. Maybe I'm just, uh, maybe unfortunately the old school social liberal types, the old Democrats are just a dying breed. And we're going to have to contend with the fact that the left is now being dominated by people like Alyssa Milano, who will believe without evidence that Brett Kavanaugh did something wrong, but then, you know, simultaneously demand that Donald Trump be impeached by laying on your back and wishing for it. Think about the world we live in. Okay, I'm going to tell you this. You may be religious, you may be spiritual, you may believe in prayer and all that. And by, by all means, more power to you, more power to her. But I'm going to tell you my perspective. She's going to go to a Brett Kavanaugh hearing where there's literally no evidence the guy did anything wrong and like demand he be removed. And then she's going to go home, land her back and pray that Donald Trump no longer be president. 
well, I don't know if you prayed last time, it didn't work, but like, this shows me that there is this inherent worldview based on a lack of facts and truth. If she's willing to believe something without evidence, I'm not surprised she's willing to believe laying on her back with, you know, her hands folded, wishing for the removal of Trump would actually result in something. Like, she believes all this. So I'll tell you what, man, here's your opportunity. I'm pretty sure she's extremely wealthy. And, and, and you know what? I, w- I will give some credit to her. I will, I will defend her a bit. I am really, really annoyed by how, like, there's a lot of people who criticize her who will say things like she's a has-been and doesn't act anymore. She absolutely does. It's so, it's so dumb that people are like, just because your hit TV show Charm doesn't, you know, was remade means you're not doing acting anymore. It's like, what are you talking about? She's, like, directing Netflix stuff. So it's like, you, you, you got you to be careful with that because it looks really petty, and I, and I can't stand it. I don't care who or what, you know, uh, what, I don't care who she is, what her career is. If she has an idea, we'll talk about her ideas. You want to you belittle her, don't try and target her career. It has nothing to do with her arguments. So I'll give her that, that defense, right? I think her ideas are kooky. I think she's new age, hippy dippy nonsense. And I think she believes fake things. Now, she has done some principled things before, like calling out, uh, didn't she call out that woman? Um, I don't even remember her name anymore. There was some woman who was Aja Argento. She was accused, she was me too'd by some like young guy. And so, you know, she called her out and said, we can't have that. And I respect that. So I don't think Alyssa Milano, I think she does have some, you know, principle, you know, and integrity within her. I mostly just think she believes nonsense without evidence. So here's your opportunity, right? You know, she's willing to believe that Brett Kavanaugh did wrong with no proof. And she's willing to believe that laying on her back and praying Trump away will work. Man, you know what I recommend? Sell her some snake oil. You know, make yourself a million bucks. Go to her and tell, it, you know, tell her that, that that snake oil is, uh, is magic. It's a spiritual cure. And you know what? If you take some of that snake oil and you rub it on your hands and put it under your armpits, it will, Im- it will amplify your meditative powers and help you remove Donald Trump. I'm kidding. Don't do that. I'm just saying, man, we got a serious problem with people. It's not just the left, but it tends to be right now for whatever reason. They kind of believe insane nonsense. Look, man, there was no evidence of Brett Ka- against Brett Kavanaugh. Just conjecture. And no one could corroborate any of it. And she still comes out and shows, I'll tell you what, man, I don't believe in the power of prayer. So, so you want to make fun of uh, fake Christians or whatever who are supposed who you know, Okay, make fun of me. Like, by all means. I mean it seriously. You want to, you, you, I'm criticizing you. I think your ideas are nuts. Please stop pointing the finger at the Orthodox Jewish website, calling them Christians, and talk about the secular liberal types like me who think you're a new age hippie dippy nonsense, and, you're, and what you're doing is not going to actually change anything. In fact, this is counterproductive. Tell your followers to go canvas. Tell your followers to go campaign. Literally telling people to lay on their backs and do nothing and wish for Trump to leave is not going to... Okay, I'm done. <laughs> you get the point. Um, I, I, you know what? Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Maybe I'll see you at 4 p.m. Thanks for hanging out. What, what, what's that, Tim? You hate the Democrats? Does that mean you literally hate every single Democrat? No, of course not. But I think it's pretty obvious to everybody. I really don't like the Democrats for a lot of reasons. And it's a damn shame that you basically have to align with them if you want to run for the president or for office. DNC raises eyebrows for snubbing Tulsi Gabbard from 2020 Unity ad featuring other candidates. Why, yes, they did some Democrat Unity thing. Tulsi Gabbard was not included. I don't necessarily know why, but I do know the Democrats have Tulsi derangement syndrome. Let me, let me read you the story, and then I want to highlight a comment from Kyle Kalinske and Cenk Uger. That's right, progressives who are calling out the Democrats for being lunatics. 
And I can really respect and appreciate that, even though they're not big fans of Tulsi either. <laughs> the, the, the Young Turks really aren't fans of her. But what I can't stand is the establishment BS. You know, you know what the, the issue is? I would like to have someone like Tulsi at least get a chance. I donated to Tulsi so she could be at the debate, so she could speak her mind. And she did, and I'm grateful. But the Democrats, it's, it's, it's very clearly this fall in line cult-like behavior. And if you don't do it, they kick you out. Now, Andrew Yang, who I also donated to, is in this ad, and I can respect that, fine. But you look at how the media treats him. MSNBC has excluded him nonstop. They use old polls to smear Bernie Sanders. The Democrats are a disgusting mess. Not a big fan of Bernie as much anymore, but you got to recognize if you're a Bernie supporter, the DNC's full of it. Bigger fan of Yang, even bigger fan, fan of Tulsi. And I think no matter where you fall on which, which of these more outsider candidates you like, you can see the Democrats are completely full of it. And I'm getting sick of it. Let's read the story from Fox News. They say, the Democratic National Committee made a glaring omission from its new ad campaign urging unity among 2020 candidates. It's kind of funny they're doing an ad called Unity and excluding Tulsi, but it's entirely possible. Look, I'll be fair. Maybe Tulsi said she didn't want to, to be in it. I don't know. I doubt it, but maybe she also didn't want to go to the debate. They say a new fundraising effort launched on Monday for the DNC's Democratic Unity Fund features 10 presidential hopefuls taking turns reading the same message. The ad includes, yeah, 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 they read everybody, okay? <laughs> Except Tulsi. I'm running to be your nominee, but no matter who ends up on that stage as our nominee in the convention, we need the whole Democratic Party to unite if we want to take back the White House and win seats all across the country and deliver a presidency consistent with our Democratic values. Oh, the values of playing crooked media games and rigging primaries so that real candidates with real policies that actually are at least somewhat popular don't have a chance. Okay, sure. Let's read on. Unity is what this moment in history demands of us right now because the stakes have never been higher. As Democrats, we know there is so much more that unites us that then divides us. And next year, we have the opportunity to make sure that our shared values are represented. Oh, I know what, what unites all of you, save Yang, war! Because for some reason, it's the only thing the Democrats can ever really rally around along with the media. They say, however, many observers noticed other 2020 candidates were missing from the ad, primarily Rep. Tulsi Gabbard, who is doing particularly well in the presidential primary. Now, look, I'm a realist. I don't think she's going to win the primary, especially with all this nonsense from the Democrats. But she's got, I think, you know, hundreds of thousands of donors. She raised tons of money. You can't pretend like she doesn't have supporters. But they are, and they're erasing her because, as you know, the Democrats cheated in 2016. Don't be surprised, and I'll do it again. And this is exactly why they lose voters to Donald Trump. Not the only reason, but at least a big one. They say, Gabbard has ruffled feathers in the Democratic Party in recent weeks by carrying on a fiery feud with former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, who suggested that the Hawaii congresswoman was being groomed by the Russians. She also angered party leaders by voting present on last week's articles of impeachment against President Trump. But critics pointed out how the ad included Devil Patrick, who polled at 0% in the latest Fox poll. So Devil Patrick gets included, but Tulsi Gabbard does not? The Hill chief Washington correspondent Sagar and Jetty asked, Strange, a certain woman of color is missing from the video, journalist Michael Tracy reacted. Democrats come together in unity to exclude Tulsi. The nation contributor, Aaron Matei, might I add, two of which are actually kind of lefties. 
Yeah, we can all see how the game is played, man. So you know what's funny? In response to stories like this, there's so many conservatives who are like, Tim, when are you going to, you know, take the red pill and vote for Trump or whatever? No, 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 no. Just because the Democrats are trash doesn't mean the Republicans are perfect or good or worth my vote. But I'll tell you this. Republicans didn't cheat Trump. And that's the, and, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll stick to my guns on this one. They did not like Trump. The, the establishment still does not like Trump. And the old crony Republican establishment didn't want him to win. But guess what? They didn't cheat. So I'll respect them for that, but I don't agree with them. So you know what ends up happening? Me, seeing someone I can respect, like Tulsi, and yes, like Yang, I know. I see how the Democrats play this game. And, and this, is what, this is what you get when you're a Democrat voter who doesn't fall in line with their weird, creepy cult of Hillary Clinton. They say the Gabbard campaign did not immediately respond to Fox, for, uh, Fox News for comment. Other candidates not featured in the ad include former Housing and Urban Development Secretary Julian Castro, former Congressman John Delaney, Senator Michael Bennett, uh, and spiritual guru Marion Williamson, sure. And perhaps it's because they all did this during the Democratic debate. It's fine. It's not so much about this one moment, okay? It's about the constant getting bashed over the head by the media where they lie, they cheat, and they steal. Mad props to Mr. Kyle Kalinske. I believe is a good dude. I like this guy. He says, I don't agree with Tulsi's vote because she voted president on impeachment. But this backlash is hilarious overkill. If only these idiots cared as much about war crimes and healthcare as they do about a symbolic fail vote, maybe we could have nice things. And this is why I like Kyle Kalinske. And you can see that I retweeted and liked this tweet. He said, why didn't you play along with our fake resistance? (laughs) And then he swears. Okay. Seriously, imagine former Democratic leaders angrily demanding politician X step down for supporting an illegal war or opposing Medicare for all. That would be glorious. Well, I'll tell you what. I, let me address the politics here with Mr. Kalinsky. I, I, I like the idea of Medicare for all. I don't know if we can get there, so I'm not one to take the idealistic vote. I'm more, I'm more, more likely to take the realistic vote of you know, a step towards a public option, lowering drug prices and, and, and compromise. That's fair. But he brings up a really good point about war. Imagine if everybody who voted for the war in Iraq couldn't run again and people were like, we're going to snub you. We're not going to cover you and we're going to demand your resignation. Think about this. Former, this is what he's responding to. Former Hawaii Democratic governor calls on Gabbard to resign. Are you kidding me? Is this a joke because she voted present? And and this is really interesting. Check this out. Michael Tracy then asks, Kyle Clinton, they have a good conversation. Tracy says, curious. Did you read the full articles of impeachment and the Judiciary Committee report laying out the rationale behind them? Do you really think Trump committed treason to help Russia? Because that's what you'd have to be affirming if you voted yes on the first article. Kyle says, no, that's not what I believe, as you already know. But Trump absolutely withheld aid for personal political gain, and that's an abuse of power. That I'm, uh, he says that I'm against the aid as policy is irrelevant. I've already stated I'd vote yes on Article 1 and no on Article 2. Michael's response is, but the point is, the article was explicitly worded such that accusing Trump of committing treason on behalf of Russia. Okay, so we get the point of what Michael is saying. I completely respect Tulsi Gabbard's present vote because I disagree with her assessment about Trump's wrongdoing and Kyle's. So he disagrees with Tulsi, but then there's a really, check this out. This woman says, I think while one can disagree with her vote, they can absolutely agree with the principles she stated and how this impeachment process was never about holding Trump accountable, but to gain a win for the Dems. Otherwise, we would have, we would have impeached over violating war power resolutions or AUMF. 
I would argue impeachment was a distraction as the Dems shoved through an obscene military budget, NAFTA 2.0, and pharma patent giveaways during the exact same time period. Hey, hey, media, look, a squirrel. Here's what I love right now. You know what's, you know what's unifying the left and the right, the populists, the, the people who actually care about policy? It's the, it's the corrupt, crony democratic establishments, the last vestige of the ivory tower being knocked down. I would rather have a conversation with Kyle Kalinske about why I think he's wrong because I or I, I'll put it this way. You know who I'd rather sit down with and debate? You know, you know who I would absolutely rather vote for? I'd rather vote for Kyle's, you know, pick than one of these crony establishment liars who cheat just to win because they want the keys to the castle. I disagree with Kyle on policy, but at least I can see he's got some integrity. And I'll even give a shout out to Cenk Uger of the Young Turks, who I actually have much more disagreements with. And, I, and I'm not trying to be mean here, but I absolutely would question Cenk's integrity, okay? Not, not completely, I'm not saying he's a completely bad guy, but I, I have some questions. I, I think there, there's, there are some issues of him not doing enough due diligence. However, regardless of what you think about Cenk, when the media, when establishment try and play these BS games to cheat, they deserve to be called out. Cenk tweeted, the executive director of the California Democratic Party, Chris Myers, just joined the Bloomberg campaign. These are all of the people aligned against me in the, C in the CDP. For these corrupt corporate Democrats, there's only one thing that matters, the money. While I am no fan of Cenk Uger, because I think he's put out some bad information, I mean, when, in terms of the Covington kids, and in terms of me, and then him yelling at me, I will absolutely defend him when corporate cronies try to lie, cheat, and steal because they're afraid they can't beat him. Keeping in mind, Michael Bloomberg ordered his news outlet not to investigate Democrats. That's the machine we're playing against. And I'm really, really frustrated by all of this. So look, I'll tell you, the Democrats, they piss me off, plain and simple. But you know why I am not backing down for the same reason Tulsi isn't? Because it's about time someone stood up and actually challenged it. Okay, there's a lot of noise here. I'm really sorry. I'm going to wrap this one up. I'll see you in a few minutes in the next segment. It is sort of different, so I decided to do a separate segment, but it kind of follows up on my earlier segment about Tulsi Gabbard, the press, and the establishment. You see, I saw this story from Newsweek. Tulsi Gabbard says Donald Trump is unfit to serve after president commends her for voting president on impeachment. Oh, oh heavens, it sounds like Tulsi Gabbard is, is you know, turning her back on Trump after he defended her. In fact, what this shows us as the media has accidentally revealed, oh heavens, that Tulsi and Trump might have, I don't know, integrity. And this is exactly, I think this is a really, really good example on a macro level of what I experience as someone who's not a big fan of Trump, not a Trump supporter, but still can have a conversation and get respect from Trump supporters, even if I criticize the guy. You see, let me explain something to you. Tulsi Gabbard voted present, right? Most of you know this, that's not what I want to explain, but she voted present. And Donald Trump said, oh, give her respect even though she has criticized him. Is that so hard? Now, look, Trump is, he's the kind of guy who will uh, praise someone. He's a really good person. And then as soon as that person turns on him, oh, he's a really bad person. Never liked him, right? But here we have Tulsi Gabbard and Donald Trump. It's not the first time Trump has praised her. He praised her when Hillary Clinton smeared her. And it's not the first time Tulsi Gabbard went after Trump. She goes after Trump pretty hard. But guess what? Oh, lo and behold, when you take a principled position and do the right thing, Trump and Tulsi were both are, are, are able to recognize what the right thing is. So now Tulsi isn't defending Trump by any means, but she refused to vote on a partisan, you know, on a partisan impeachment. Respectable. And Trump was like, sure. So this is what I, I deal with. See, I, I like Tulsi. 
I, I perhaps I, I think she's the better choice. Oh, heavens, it's true. But Trump supporters don't come to me and threaten me and insult me and attack me, ban me, try to get me banned, you know, try and ruin my career or anything like that. They say, oh, well, agree to disagree. And this is what we're seeing, but the media doesn't seem to understand. They're shocked. Why would Tulsi say something about Trump after he just praised her? Let me read this, and I'll explain to you exactly why. Newsweek reports, two days after President Donald Trump gave Rep. Tulsi Gabbard respect for casting a neutral vote on his impeachment, it was a protest vote, she tweeted an earlier interview in which she said he was unfit to serve as commander-in-chief. When it came to both impeachment articles, obstruction of Congress and abuse of power, Gabbard, a Democrat and presidential candidate, was the only member of the House to cast her vote as present. Here's the way I want to bring this up. I certainly don't think Tulsi likes Trump, but I certainly see that she's willing to act on principle, and I can see that Trump, for all his faults, is willing to praise someone when they do that. But more importantly, other Democrats voted no. Where is the outrage? Where is the media slam? Where is the smear? Apparently, it doesn't matter. Tulsi is the only one they don't like. They go on to say, despite her decisive break with Democrats, Gabbard doesn't seem interested in accepting this past weekend's praise from Trump, a move that seems emblematic of the candidate's careful dance on impeachment thus far. While she said the president committed wrongdoing, she's also blasted Democrats for the tribal animosities that have fueled their investigation to date. I give her respect. She didn't vote the other day. I give her a lot of respect because she knew it was wrong. She took a pass. Trump said Saturday in West Palm Beach, Florida, according to USA Today. I, I have absolute respect for that statement from Trump. Now, I get it. Trump's, in my opinion, it's, she, did, she did right by Trump. Trump does right by her. If she voted yes, Trump would say, do nothing Democrat. But I mean, it makes sense because impeachment is ridiculous. I disagree with Tulsi when she says that she thinks Trump is guilty of wrongdoing. I disagree with Kyle Kalinske when he says that Trump clearly did this for political reasons. I think that's absurd. And not once has anyone tried to prove that Trump's intent was in any way related to 2020. But this shows me, it, it kind of reflects on what I experience. That I can go down and sit with a Trump supporter and say, here's why I like Tulsi. And they'll say, mm, well, I disagree. I don't think she's that good. And I'll be like, oh, I disagree with Trump. And that's it. And then, and then we eat cheeseburgers and you know, we watch TV and we get along just fine. Granted, I understand it's a, it's a little bit different with Tulsi. She's clearly not super excited about you know, Trump's praise. But I think it shows that Trump isn't, you know, well, let's just keep reading. They say, in an apparent response, Gabbard posted her interview on the Hill TV's Rising segment on Monday. In it, she declined to explain, she declined to explain her neutral vote on impeachment, but maintained that the president's foreign policy decisions were counter to American interests and national security. Look, there's no question in my mind that Donald Trump is unfit to serve as president and commander in chief. I've said it this over and over again. Gabbard told hosts Crystal Ball and Sagar Anjedi, I am running for president to defeat him for that reason. I respect that statement. Tulsi Gabbard is a, as a major in the National Guard. I absolutely respect her when she says she thinks Trump is unfit to serve as president. Because she's, listen, there are a lot of people I don't trust when they say this. They accuse Trump of being mentally ill. They, they say he's trying to subvert foreign policy. No, uh, Tulsi Gabbard said this. He launched an illegal and unconstitutional attack launching missiles into Syria. We don't see any talk in Congress about that. That's like one of the biggest and first criticisms I had about Trump uh, in his president. Well, not necessarily the first because, you know, I've criticized them a lot. But even Trump supporters criticized the missile attack in Syria. So what's this? Tulsi Gabbard actually made a legitimate point about why she doesn't like Donald Trump. I respect that. What I don't respect is when people try and claim he's mentally ill. The dude's not mentally ill. Trump's eccentric. He's narcissistic. 
He's arrogant, overconfident, boisterous. There's a lot of things about Trump that are, some people think are bad, that are good, but crazy is not one of them. You can call, you know, I'll tell you this, crazy like a fox. I don't mean like a compliment. I mean, he does things that seem to be accidents that tend to work out. The economy is doing really, really well. His support is growing. He's clearly got some kind of strategy. The one thing I want to see from Democrats is legitimate criticism. But guess what? Here's why I really want to talk about this. Do you know what the Democratic establishment and the media love more than anything, which they refuse to criticize? War. So you'll notice that people like Kyle Kalinske, people like me, even though we disagree on a lot of political issues, yet the media doesn't like what we're about or we're likely to disagree with them because they're warmongers. You know, when, when Trump did the missile strike in Syria, all of a sudden the press was like, is this Trump's true presidential moment? Oh, oh, that was it. Without a congressional order firing missiles into a foreign country, that's when we want to praise the president. And that's probably why they let Obama get away with so much. Because of all the things he was doing with drones and blowing people up, they love the war machine. They love the military industrial complex. They love the, they love the weapons deals. And when Trump plays that game, they actually praise him. And so Tulsi called him out for something legitimate. Okay, look, if you are a Trump supporter and you like that Trump fired those missiles, fine, you're allowed to. I think it's wrong. Completely disagree. I believe it was unconstitutional. And I believe the United States should not be levying war in foreign countries without congressional approval. But Congress doesn't care about that. What do they care about? Non-statutory impeachment. This is why I can't stand Congress, okay? There's very few Republicans who get a pass from me. I can't stand the whole system. And it's one of the reasons I like Tulsi. You know, when, 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 you, when I try and ask people why they don't like the president, and, and Trump supporters totally get this, they have no answer. They say, oh, well, you know, there's just so much that he's done that's wrong. And I'm like, okay, you don't care. You don't care about what the U.S. government does that's wrong. You don't care about what they do in your name. You don't care about what they do with your tax dollars. You get these Democrats on stage saying things like, oh, we're going to tax the rich to pay for health care. And I'm like, how about we just stop funding all of these massive military expenditures overseas, building roads in countries where we don't live? So while I disagree with Tulsi on a lot of issues, the one thing I, I think is if we're going to get somebody in politics who's saying we should stop these wars and stop wasting money, yeah, I'm likely to support them. And you know what? That's why Trump won over a lot of people. Now, you might, you might be a Trump supporter. You might like the guy. You might think he's doing right. But I'll tell you what, he lost a lot of people, or at least he lost some support from people when he started doing things like this, okay? Because he did a commando raid in Yemen. He's talking about sending troops to Saudi Arabia. He's, he's doing weapons deals with Saudi Arabia. He's talking about sent, having our troops remain guarding oil fields in Syria. He did the missile strike. Now, there's some areas where he's been better than previous administrations, and I'll give credit for that, okay? He's pulled back. He's talking about withdrawing from Afghanistan, and so there are some net positives. Obama would ramp things up, okay? But he's not perfect, and he campaigned on things, and he didn't necessarily complete that. He didn't, he, he, look, he fired missiles, 59 Tomahawk missiles in Syria. We do not need to be involved in that. The Syria war is all about Europe and, their, and the natural gas stuff and Burisma. It's all connected. It is this big international game that we've always been playing. And, and, and the way I've always explained to people is the way I view, you know, the way the world should be, or at least I hope it to be, is that we as, an, as Americans focus on ourselves, improving our own country, developing our own technology, protecting our borders, providing aid, and doing international endeavors through cooperation instead of with, the, you know, the barrel of a gun. Instead, since, since World War II, America has been about building military bases, sending our troops overseas, getting involved in proxy wars, um, and, and the Cold War, I understand. I understand there are concerns about the rapid expansion of Russia and China. Totally get it. Totally get it. But I think there's, there, there's, we, we can't keep playing this game.
We're not going to be the world-dominating United States of America. I do not, when I travel the world, I do not like the idea that it's like, oh, you're an American and we know what America does to maintain its power. No, I don't like it. I don't think it's, it's, it's uh, moral or ethical to do, you know, drone strikes in Yemen to aid foreign countries in their, in their regional conflicts because they pay well. So Trump deserves criticism for this. But anyway, to the point, you talk to a regular Trump person, they're not going to be able to tell you. I'm, I'm sorry, not uh, anti-Trump person, that's what I mean. They're not going to be able to tell you what they don't like about the president. But you get someone like Tulsi and she straight up says, like, like launches missiles into Syria, dude. If Trump pledges never to do it, I don't know if I would trust him. Okay, and I'll tell you this, I don't even 100% trust Tulsi Gabbard because I have been tricked so many times. They say, fool me, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. But she's, she seems sincere. She's called it out. She's got integrity. She's, she, she's at, probably, as far as I'm concerned, the best person in the House, period. Okay, voting present was the, in my, it was, it was spot on. It was, it was saying, look, the partisanship has to stop. But when asked, she straight up calls it out. So you know what, man? I did these two segments because, well, I, I, don't, I don't typically do a ton of segments on Tulsi. I am a huge fan of hers. I disagree with a lot of her policy. I absolutely do. Um, I, I, I disagree with some of her, her positions on Trump because I, I, don't, I don't hate Trump as much as a lot of these people on the left do. But I'm just so sick and tired of, there, there's, no, you know, there's no option for me. And there's no option for sane, rational people like me. And too many people who are like in the similar space to me, they do, they just check the D. They go, they, they, they go to the voting booth and they say, I don't know, Democrat. They end up voting for these lunatics, these people who won't call out the war machine, these people who don't know why they don't like the president, these people who are talking about a second impeachment and they haven't even filed the first articles. And it's frustrating. But um, it's fun to rant about. <clears throat> you know, let, let, me, let, me, let me put it this way. It is every so often... I will give you a few frustrated, the Democrats are nuts segments. I, I do it all the time. Um, but these past two, it's, it's, it's venting. Who am I going to vote for? Probably no one. Probably no one. But they insult me because of it, because I call them out. I don't know. You get the point. Whatever. Stick around. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all then. This may be the most absurd, ridiculous, funny, coolest, but yes, silliest story I have ever read. Muslim terrorists will try to wipe out Europe with a chemical attack in 2020. Vladimir Putin will survive an assassination attempt and Donald Trump will fall ill, predicts the blind mystic Baba Vanga, who foresaw 9-11. Okay, I want to make sure it's clear. The story is silly, not true, but I think it's really fun to read about a blind Bulgarian mystic named Baba Vanga, a cult conspiracy theory figure who died in 1996 but predicted 9-11 and believes Donald Trump will, will, will fall ill in 2020. Uh, let's read the story and engage in some holiday silliness and have a good time. They say, Donald Trump will suffer deafness and mortal illness in 2020, and Vladimir Putin will have to fend off an assassination attempt, while Europe is bracing for a chemical attack from Muslim extremists according to the blind Bulgarian mystic who supposedly predicted 9-11. Baba Vanga has become a cult figure among conspiracy theorists after some of her pronouncements proved eerily true. Although she died in 1996, her predictions run until the year 5079, and this year's forecast makes worrying reading for the White House, Kremlin, and people of Europe. However, Trump and Putin can draw reassurances from the fact that last year's predictions were extremely similar and no such fate 
has befallen them in 2019. Let's be real. They're not real. If I wrote down 50,000 predictions and then waited until one of them came true, I could pick it up and say, look, I wrote it a year ago. People do this all the time. There's, there's, there are people, they will, they will make a, they'll make a new account on Twitter and they'll tweet something like, in three years, so-and-so will win the Super Bowl, mark my words, you know, and, and they'll get really specific and they'll make like 70 tweets explaining all these weird things. And then once the actual day happens, they'll delete all the other tweets and go, aha, I called it. No, you just tweeted literally everything. So if she's going to predict over and over again, something will happen. And then one of them comes true. Yeah. Broken clock is right twice a day. I'm sorry. I just killed the fun before we started, but let's read on and see what she's predicting. They say this. So I'm going to read this. How good is Baba Vanga's record? 29 prediction doom for Trump and Putin. Baba Vanga's 2019 forecasts were very similar to her 2020 predictions. Foreseeing illness for Trump and an assassination attempt for Putin, she also predicted a European economic collapse. Result, Trump and Putin have both survived unscathed and Europe's economy has sputtered but not collapsed. However, in 2018, the rise of China, she predicted China would become the next great superpower and a new form of energy would emerge on Venus. That's strangely futuristic and no end. China's status as a global power has risen since Baba Vanga's death, but there is no reason to single out 2018. There was no major discovery on Venus. 2017, the end of America. Prediction, America's 44th president would be the last one. According to some versions, she also predicted he would be black. Barack Obama was indeed the first African-American president, but Donald Trump became the 45th president in January 2017. Let me stop. Let's have some fun. Let's play silly games. She predicted Obama would be the last. Perhaps something happened in 2016 where our universe fractured and somehow Donald Trump became president. And in Earth Prime, of, of which we are no longer in, maybe it was just me, I got sucked into Earth, you know, 5073 or something, but Earth Prime, America ended and all these things came true. I don't know. I'm being silly. But uh, yeah, Trump ended up winning and a lot of people were shocked. Maybe that some people would predict. Actually, actually, Many people on the left would probably say that was the end of America. She predicted the end of Europe in 2016. Europe was rattled by the 2016 Brexit results, but ceased to exist as an extreme interpretation. So she, she pointed to 2016 as the year Europe would cease to exist, making a dire prediction of empty spaces and wasteland nearly devoid of any form of life. Some people apparently claimed that she was right because Brexit leaving was like fracturing Europe. But apparently she said there would be just wastelands and no life. Not true. Boxing Day Tsunami in 2004. She predicted a huge wave will cover a big coast covered with people and towns and everything will disappear beneath the water. Everything will melt just like ice. In 2004, Boxing Day Tsunami brought devastation to Indonesia, Sri Lanka, India, Thailand, and other countries, killing more than 230,000. Was that a correct prediction? Well, I'll tell you what, man. If I was going to say something like next year, there will be an earthquake that will hurt many people. Yeah, okay, earthquakes happen, you know what I mean? What if I, said, what if I wrote down 50 times, right? She apparently predicted 9-11. Baba Vanga predicted horror for the U.S. warning in 1989 that the American brethren will fall after being attacked by the steel birds. <gasps> Four hijacked planes brought terror to America. Steel birds could be referenced to those jets. It could also, I, I, you know, I got to be honest. I don't know what else would be a, ref, be a reference to. But the truth is, in 1989, there was already a concept of people using commercial airliners in these ways. So I don't 
think, you know, she had a specific date or whatever. It doesn't sound like a good prediction to me. This is becoming less fun, I have to admit. But let's read anyway. Uh, actually, let's go, let's go back to the main story. They say the predictions attributed to Baba Vanga for 2020 have Trump suffering a brain tumor that leaves him deaf and may even kill him. The Bulgarian mystic also predicts an assassination attempt against Putin. They said it a million times. We get it. Baba Vanga's prophecies of doom also include an army of Muslim extremists invading Europe with chemical weapons. Followers of the blind fortune teller have been citing the same prediction of Europe's downfall for years, and no such disaster has come to pass. Her claim that Europe would cease to exist by 2016 drew knowing nods when Britain voted to leave the EU in that year's referendum, rattling Brussels and sparking a better political fallout. But hold on. What if she said something like, 2016 will be the end of Europe, or will bring the end of Europe, and then it will leave, you know, a, a wasteland? What if Brexit is that? And it's going to take a few years before we actually get to that point. I don't know. I'm just saying. Okay, let's be real. It's just an old blind lady who said a bunch of things that didn't come true. But come on. It's the holidays. Let's laugh a little bit. However, even the most ardent Remainer would not claim the result has left empty spaces and wasteland nearly devoid of any form of life as Baba Vanga foresaw. Her predicted great Muslim war in Europe has not materialized, depending on who you ask. But no, no chemical weapons. An attempt against Putin cannot be ruled out, and a genuine plot to kill him was stopped in 2012. But come on, Putin is one of the most powerful men in the world. He's a leader of a big country. It happens. However, the Russian president surrounds himself with a highly trained sniper squad whose only task is to keep him alive. Putin should also be watching the skies for a giant meteorite, which is due to hit Russia, according to Baba. <laughs> okay, I, I gotta show you. Here's the picture of her. The blind Bulgarian mystic. Who, who predicted many things, and yeah, most of them never came true. I don't know. I don't necessarily know why people latch onto stories like this or people like this. There are a lot of people who claim things are going to true come true, and they don't come true. When I predicted the Republicans were going to sweep in 2018, and I was wrong. I didn't claim to be a prophet, but maybe that was my mistake. Maybe if I closed my eyes and said, "Oh, it's a fact. This will happen," people would believe it was magical. When in reality, you're just looking at the news of the time. If she's going to make a prediction about a world leader and assassination, that's just common sense. If I said the world leader of one of the nation's most powerful countries will face an assassination attempt in the next decade, yes, that's a high probability. That's why they have sniper teams. It's why they have bodyguards. You know, I, I'll put it this way. I feel like a lot of people do like stories like this because, let's be honest, life is predictable, routine, and for a lot of people, kind of boring. People then like latching on to conspiracy theories for a few reasons. One, it makes life more exciting, and it also provides simple explanations for things that make you feel like it's out of your control. When people feel like they can't control the world around them, it's easier to blame a system. The right and the left have their versions of this. The left blames the oppressor. The government and the system of patriarchy is oppressing us. Ooh, yeah, that's a conspiracy. Sorry, it's not true. But then you get really fringe right-wing type, you know, individuals who think the government is controlling our minds and weird, you know, aliens or whatever. I don't necessarily think it's fair to just call those people right-wing, but I'll be honest with you guys. You're more likely to find fringe right-wing conspiracy theorists than you are to find fringe left-wing of the same, you know, uh, conspiracy theory, right? So when it comes to the left's conspiracy theories, they use ideologies and they think, you know, like the New York Times published that conspiracy theory about the U.S. trying to establish a slaveocracy. They make up these weird things. It's very different from what the right conspiracy theories are. But everybody falls victim to them because it's easier to blame someone else than to accept that humans are kind of like a runaway 
chemical reaction. And, you know, it's like dominoes falling over. Things happen because other things happen. It is just a constant chain of events. One thing leads to another. And we're kind of spiraling out of control and there's not much we can do about it. Perhaps humans are heading towards the right path. Perhaps they're not. But I'll tell you this. When your life is crappy, it's easier to look to someone and think they have magic powers and that can, you know, and they're going to predict things because it's easier to believe that when you can't solve a problem, you couldn't have in the first place. In reality, you can solve your problems. In reality, you know, this stuff is magic and it's, it's not likely to be true. But a lot of people want to believe it. It's, it's what the left is. So I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this. I'll wrap up with one final thought. You know what I think the left is right now? It is, it is a massive conspiracy theory movement that refuses to accept responsibility for their actions and their failures and blames a conspiracy of whites' heteronormative patriarchy. They basically make up weird nonsense and accuse everybody of all these weird things because they believe in a conspiracy theory, conspiracy theories, where they think people like me are secretly plotting to like send memes out to people so that I can convert children to fascism. <laughs> when in reality, I'm like a pretty libertarian lefty person. Anyway, it's, it's super noisy doing construction. It's Christmas Eve. I hope you all have a happy holiday, and I will see you tomorrow on Christmas Day at 10 a.m. because I don't stop working. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you all tomorrow. I said that I would never go see another Star Wars movie again, but there was one thing I didn't count on. Man, literally nothing is happening right now. I can't stand the holidays. I got to admit it. Many of you may be sitting at home with your families. Maybe some people are waking up and you're sitting there bored on the couch with your phone just Figuring out what's going on, I doubt very many people are working at all. There's basically no news. And so I was really bored. But as much as I said I wouldn't do it, there's a couple of reasons outside of boredom that I decided that I would. And it's because of the mixed reviews. And I, I, I will admit, I did say in the past, I may have to see the new Star Wars for the sake of the cultural relevance of the film. And now I think, I'm actually glad I did because I went and saw it. And I'm sad. I really am. The movie, in my opinion, is absolutely terrible. It is substantially better than The Last Jedi, but I am even more convinced they actually had a story plan for the new arc and Ryan Johnson purposefully destroyed Star Wars. I think they knew what they were going to do with the characters, with Kylo, with Rey, and watching, you know, the, watching The Rise of Skywalker, it was, it was like, oh man, I don't want, I don't want to give out spoilers. I'm not going to give out spoilers, but wow. I don't know if you've read any of the reviews, but let, let, let me just show you the story, right? So I think Stories like this are why I felt it was relevant to actually go and see the film. The Rise of Skywalker's huge opening weekend was still a big miss by Star Wars standards. Episode 9 failed to crack $400 million worldwide, unlike, unlike its predecessors. So yes, you may be angry with me. Tim, you're a hypocrite. You said you wouldn't see Star Wars. Well, I haven't seen The Mandalorian. I'm not going to buy Disney+. Plus. I didn't see Solo. But I got to admit, there are a few important things for one. It pretty much did fail, okay? I mean, look, Star Wars basically always makes money. Everybody knew it was make a bunch of money, but it failed to crack $400 million worldwide, unlike its predecessors. So sure, of course we knew it was going to make money, but it's not, not doing well. But here's what I did see. I saw a lot of people saying it was a, 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 an attempt to please the fans. I saw that the, t the, the tomato meter was 55%. The critics hated it, and I made a video about it. And the audience score was actually really high. Because of the high audience score and several other factors, notably, I'm going I'm, I'm to be completely honest, man, I was bored. <laughs> like, the holidays are boring. I'm sorry. I'm not hanging out with family or anything. I'm just working, and there's literally nothing to do. So, you know, honestly, I wanted to go see Cats. 
they weren't, it wasn't playing at the theater by me, so I literally had, this was my option, unless I wanted to see like Black Christmas, and I don't, I don't want to see that. But let me tell you this, I'm, I'm going to try to avoid any spoilers for those of, you, those of you who actually want to see it, and I want to talk about how, I, you know what, I thought it was really important to see because it really does signify how Star Wars is completely dead, so... Look, uh, this isn't a spoiler. Some of you might get mad I'm going to say it because you might think it's a spoiler, but no, it's in the trailers. They brought back Emperor Palpatine. It's, it's literally in the commercials for it. And that to me was like, that was, that was wow. You, you must truly be desperate to have no story for what your movies are going to be about. So you literally just pluck someone from the 70s and you're like, let's just put him here and make him, make him the grand villain and there's no explanation for anything. They tried stuffing this film with so much retcon. It's insane. It's like, it's like it has nothing to do with the past two movies. But here's, you know what my favorite thing is? Ryan Johnson literally destroyed the Star Wars franchise and it's hilarious. I mean, I'm not, I'm not happy he did, but he did. So, but by now, you, you better have seen The Last Jedi. Or not. I mean, the movie was terrible. But in The Last Jedi, Kylo Ren kills Snoke. Snoke was their villain. So I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm watching the movie, and um, so as, as I said, when you watch the trailers for Star Wars, the Emperor is in the trailers talking, saying like, long have I awaited, <laughs> or whatever. And uh, I'm watching it like, wow, they're really bringing back the Emperor? Like, they're basically negating the original trilogy? That's so dumb. And then I realized... Ryan Johnson killed their villain with no explanation. He could you imagine, like, they have this trilogy plan. They have this story between, like, the characters. And apparently there was, like, a general outline, and Ryan Johnson threw it the trash. And then I can, I can imagine Ryan Johnson, when he's making The Last Jedi, he's, like, sitting with his friends, and they're, like, smoking pot or, like, drinking. And he's like, wouldn't it be funny if I just, like, ruined the whole thing by just killing the villain at, like, a random moment for no reason and never explaining anything. And they're like, oh, dude, that would ruin the whole new sequel trilogy. And then he did. So think about it. In The Last Jedi, they kill Snoke. They don't explain who he is or why. He literally just, ben, just kills him. What are they supposed to do with the next movie? There's no villain. So now you get J.J. Abrams. You get Star Wars. They're, they're spinning in circles, you know, like, like chickens with their head cut off. What are we going to make a movie about? There's no villain anymore. <laughs> so they literally just take the, 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 the emperor. And the emperor is barely even in the movie. Like, nothing makes sense. Like, seriously, the movie... You know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. When I was sitting there watching this, it didn't feel like I was watching a movie. I, I'll be completely honest. It did not feel like I was watching a movie. It felt like I was watching a series of cutscenes from, like... You ever watch YouTube videos? And they'll do a thing where they'll get, like, 30 artists to each animate, you know, like, 15 seconds... And then it's like, what did they do this with? They, they, there was a, they, they do it with a bunch of like famous movie scenes, and then it constantly changes. I think they did something with like Harry Potter. They, they do this all the time. And then every every fit, you know fifteen to thirty seconds, it changes totally. The, the art style, everything's different, and it's basically a different story. That's what it really felt like. I had no idea why they were doing what they were doing, where they were going. Oh, and boy, I'll tell you this: it's not necessarily a spoiler, but you know, again, we're talking about Star Wars. If you plan on going seeing it, you're being warned. But the movie. Okay, do you know what a MacGuffin is, right? The, 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 the goober, the thing that has to drive the plot, the, the device they must find. The movie is literally MacGuffin Quest. It's like Quest for the Missing MacGuffin. It's, it's the, the plot is driven by, like, made-up things that never existed before, but now they must have. And, wow, there's so much that doesn't make sense in this movie. I'll wait till later to do a spoiler review, but the, the whole movie is filled with plot holes. 
I'm not exaggerating. Now, there may be some people who, who like the movie. I've seen some, some people posting saying, stop ragging on it. Let me just enjoy the film. And look, man, I'm not telling you not to enjoy going to see a popcorn flick. You know, I'll tell you this. The Last Jedi was mind-numbingly bad. Like, I wanted to leave the theater. And the only reason I didn't is because I felt like I had to understand the cultural references that people are bringing up. And so, so I'll admit that, you know, when, when people started talking about the various things in Rise of Skywalker, I saw people on Twitter, I'm like, I can't understand what they're talking about. And I think for what I do, it's kind of important that I do. So I caved. I know I'm sorry. I'm a hypocrite. I had to go see it. But there, there was so much. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, let, me, let me stop there. The movie is actually, I don't know, tolerable. There were a few parts where I was getting excited and I was feeling like involved like a normal film. You know, when I watch a Marvel movie, I'm enthralled from the, from the whole get-go. I love Marvel films. They're not, you know, I, I know there's been like a debate over whether or not Mar- Marvel is actually cinema. No, I, 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 they, I enjoy it. It's, it's you go out with your friends, you're bored. You're like, let's go see a movie, man. And you watch and, you know, Iron Man punches, you know, a giant robot or something. And you're like, yeah, this is fun. It's not like, uh, you know, Joker, in my opinion, was a, was a, was a masterpiece. Joker is, is art. It's brilliant. It, has, it had a message. It was, it was, you know, political, but it was, it was done well. Joker was incredible. Absolutely incredible. This was tolerable. It was like, yeah, I'd, I'd seriously give it a 55%. I'd be like, I, I don't consider it a movie. I don't. I think it's kind of like um, if some, like a, like a fan made you a, like a, a scrapbook of various like Star Wars related ideas that you could flip through and be like, oh yeah, that's a thing. Oh cool, look at this, lightsabers. Those were fun. So let me read a little bit of this Vox article because I, I, I know I started ranting, but I want to talk about it actually did worse than The Last Jedi. And so that's the point I want to drive home. They say, the movie, according to Box Office Mojo, made $373 million worldwide this weekend. While that was easily enough to win the weekend, the haul is lower than the first weekend grosses of the previous two Star Wars films in the current trilogy. The Force Awakens made $494 million in the first weekend, and The Last Jedi grossed $437.5 million over the same three-day period in 2017. To be clear, $373 million would be a stellar opening number for most movies, but Star Wars movies operate in a different stratosphere of box office thanks to their history and decades and decades of diehard fans. Since The Rise of Skywalker represents the final chapter in the 42-year story of the Skywalker clan, kind of, no, it was not really a movie, the thought was that it would at least break the $200 million mark domestically like its predecessors. Critics didn't love The Rise of Skywalker. I'll wrap it up there. You get the point. I truly believe Star Wars is over. And what was really sad about watching this, first, there's so much cringe. Now, I want to be, be fair. You know, Carrie Fisher died. Rest her soul. You know, she's, a, she's an icon of, uh, you know, of Star Wars and all that stuff. And they really were in a tough spot. But I, I think they went the absolute wrong route. Uh, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a spoiler. I'm going to tell you anyway. You can probably figure this out. But you're being warned. Carrie Fisher's in the film. Her dialogue makes literally no sense. Because they had to pluck dialogue from, you know, unused footage and just randomly drop it in the film and try and contextualize it in a way that did make sense, but it literally doesn't. It's like, imagine if every few minutes, some rand, like, like uh, every few minutes, some random, you know, person pops up and then says something like, that was funny. And then like 20 minutes later, there they are standing in the background again going like, and I do like popcorn. You're just like, I have no idea why what you're saying it, it just they, they tried to make scenes work using really old footage i get why they did and i you know and, it, and, it, and it's sad because she passed away but they probably should just not have had her in the movie it the movie could have literally started with like 
something that, you know, Leia sacrifices herself or something. And no, she's in the film, and, uh, and, and it's seemingly very just kind of random. So, uh, yeah. But here, here, here's what I ended up, you know, feeling like. There's a lot of scenes, uh, there's a lot of uh, the movie where I felt like it just didn't make sense. Like I said, it was a, it was an, a, a compilation of various, like, Star Wars, woohoo. But I'll tell you how I really felt. I felt like they were desperately trying to, to undo The Last Jedi, and I'm not exaggerating. Like, there's a lot of stuff in The Last Jedi completely retconned, and I, and I seriously mean it. Rose Tico, for instance, barely in the film. Like, she has, like, I think, you know, probably a minute of screen time, if that. They don't like her. The fans didn't like her. And I feel bad because, you know, Kelly Marie Tran's not a bad person. It's just the fans didn't like the way they were with the character. And so there's, like, characters that are in the film. I have no idea why. They have, like, almost no dialogue. It's like, there, there's, like, people who just randomly pop up and they're like, hi, I'm this person. Ha ha. And then they fight and they're gone. <laughs> like, it, it seems like the whole thing was, a, you know, they, they had to cram. And th- th- this is not just my opinion. There's a bunch of reviews that said the same thing. They had to cram two movies into one. Because The Last Jedi was a huge, insane waste of time that made no sense. And in order for, the movie, for this movie to make sense, for one, no villain. Like, what are you going to do? Ryan Johnson, that is the funniest prank I have ever seen on Culture, period. I got to hand it to him. I got, I, I, and I really do mean this. I got to give an applause to Ryan Johnson. By killing off the series villain in the second film, they're trying to make a third movie with no bad guy. I guess, I guess uh, he thought you know, he would make Kylo Ren the bad guy. I don't know, but he, he gets rid of Snoke. Now there's literally no villain. What are you going to do? So the whole movie is, is them trying to jump from scene to scene as fast as possible because they have to get two movie story arcs crammed into one because otherwise there's literally no ending. Like, what's the ending? You know, I guess, you know, you know what, man? I could rant about this all day and night. I'll be honest. There's no, you know, there's, there's nothing going on in news because it's the holiday and everyone's sleeping and stuff. So we're talking about Star Wars, but I will tell you this. They, no, no, I'm not going to tell you this. I'm going to wrap it up. I don't need to rant on Star Wars for, this, for the rest of my life. Let me just say, to kind of bring my thoughts together, the reason why I wanted to highlight the, the low amount of money generated, relatively, I mean, look, 400 million, 373 million is a lot of money. I, I said I believed Star Wars was truly over, absolutely done. Like The Last Jedi was, was, a, was a knife in the back to end the franchise. And Ryan Johnson said, let the past die, kill it if you have to. And I think that's what he did. Because I'll, I'll stress it again, because I got to tell you how funny it is that he literally killed off the new trilogy's villain without a word, without explanation. It was like, I don't think it was to subvert expectations. I think he was literally like, let's see them make a third movie now. <laughs> and then just wipe the guy out. And they couldn't. They never even explained Snoke. They never, I'm sorry, that was a spoiler, okay? But I warned you, okay? They never even explain who these people are. The movie is just a big mishmash of random nothing. They were, it was so sad to watch. I'm sitting there like, man, they really could have had a good story. I could see where they were going with it, but The Last Jedi was what ended it. The Force Awakens was not bad. I enjoyed it. Fans were excited for it. I was excited for it. Seeing that scene with you know, Han Solo coming in the Millennium Falcon, I'm like, this is going to be cool. And then Ryan, Jens- John- Ryan Johnson was like, <laughs> hold my beer. I'm going to make sure Star Wars is over completely. And he did. So here's what happens now. I-, I think it should be surprising to people to see that it's been doing continually worse and worse. A lot of people didn't like The Force Awakens because they call it a stealth remake or a shot-for-shot remake of A New Hope. And that's, that's kind of true. But there's something they could have done with that. They could have started there. And then with the next movie, kind of, you know, genuinely subverted expectations. I really would have liked to see um, Kylo Ren and Rey, like, switch sides. 
and then, you know, culminate with Rey being the ultimate villain. Instead, it's Emperor Palpatine. Again, that's in the commercials. Because, I don't know, they want to sell toys, I guess. They introduce some characters that are very clearly, you know, marketing attempts. The whole, the whole film is basically just a quick commercial for kids to try and get them to buy toys. But I'll tell you what, man. If there's no cultural enthusiasm for Star Wars, no one's going to buy the toys, right? Some people might buy toys. That's what they really hope for. That's where the money really comes from, the merchandising. But the thing about Star Wars was that the original trilogy was a cultural phenomenon. And I think what a lot of people miss when they watch the new, the, the, the sequels and the prequels, is that in the 70s, seeing a film where people in outer space is kind of a new thing. You know, I, I wasn't alive back then, but my general understanding of it is that before the original Star Wars, like th these are new special effects created by, by George Lucas that people had never seen before. So imagine, you know, for us, we're spoiled. We have movies like Transformers, a giant robot, giant robots. We have crazy CGI. We see films all the time in parallel realities and, you know, alternate universes and lightsaber battles. We see it. It's not exciting. We see movies where The Rock literally throws a chain at a helicopter and pulls it. We've seen the action and the intensity. We've seen, you know, alternate dimensions and multiple realities. When the original Star Wars came out, it was one of the first times. So what Star Wars needed to do was to capture something new, not just keep trying to rehash the old, and they failed to do it. So I'll tell you what, man. The original trilogy, it was great. I love the original trilogy. It's an adventure film. It wasn't super it wasn't a superhero film, right? The prequel the prequels were fun. I really I do like the Re Revenge of the Sith. I would have really liked uh, the, the new sequel series to maybe end with like the Sith coming back or something. Instead, there's no story. There's no villain. It's a, it's a chaotic mess. And you get the point. There's a bunch of cars honking outside. I guess it's Christmas or something. So I'll wrap it up here. Thanks for listening to me rant about Star Wars. Stick around. I might come back at 1 p.m. I don't know. It's Christmas Eve and no one's working. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I will see you all if that is the case, which I presume it will be at 1 p.m. on this channel. And I got to stop myself now. Otherwise, I'll literally talk about Star Wars for three hours. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you all next time.